it's so typical for people to end up drinking more when they're trying to drink less. And so when I asked myself that question, I just went and wrote down every single reason I drank. And we live in this beautiful day and age where you can pay 50 or 100 bucks to buy an online study. And I just started going through, does it relax me? Is it really more fun? Does it steal my joy or add to my joy? And I did this research and I remember just being blown away and like, I can't believe we don't know this stuff. What is it was like the red pill and waking up in the matrix. And I just stopped wanting to drink. And so I told my husband, I was like, I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. And he was super surprised, but I put my research out for free download just online and 20,000 people downloaded it in two weeks. I started getting messages from all over the world and people said, this is helping me. And someone actually wrote and said, you should you should make this a book. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Sansone and this is Mom to Mom, the podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. This is someone whose book I discovered during the pandemic and reading the book really changed my outlook on alcohol. Yes, my friends, today we are taking a close look at our relationship with alcohol. I'm going to introduce you to Annie Grace. Annie Grace is a trailblazer in this space. She is a best-selling author and founder of a book called This Naked Mind, and that's the book that I discovered, which really made me look at alcohol differently. So her goal was to make alcohol small and irrelevant in her life, and she has not had a drink since 2015. So she has taken everything she's learned and has been sharing her tools with her millions of followers and people that have been reading her book and her community has just grown exponentially since I spoke to her last, which was during the pandemic. So whether or not you want to give up alcohol, this conversation is relevant I think for all of us. So whether you are struggling with substance abuse, maybe you're just curious about your relationship with alcohol, or maybe you just want to listen in and maybe there are some habits that you would like to change in your life. I will say this, and I explain this all in in our conversation. I still drink alcohol, right? I've read her book. However, once you hear some of the things you hear in this book or read in this book, you can't untoast the toast. That's all I'll say about that. All right, so here is my conversation with Annie Grace. Annie Grace, welcome back to Mom to Mom. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It's so good to see you. So we spoke, I think it was back during the pandemic, when this little show that could was in my attic, and I had discovered your book, This Naked Mind, and I said, we have got to talk to Annie Grace. Like, something is happening here. This is a movement. Um, And so I'm so glad that you're here just a few years later. Um, to see how you've grown and your community has grown is amazing what you've been doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been incredible. So I'm a big fan of your podcast and obviously of the book. So seeing you, I'm like, oh, this is very familiar. (laughs) I recognize this space. Um, So I think what I'm going to do is what you do on your podcast is kind of take us back to the beginning with your relationship with alcohol and then how we got to where we are today. 
So it was fascinating for me. I actually grew up in a very remote situation. It was a tiny one-room log cabin with no running water electricity. And my parents were hippies. That's why it was like that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't drink alcohol. And so I went to college. I didn't drink much. But then I got my first major corporate job after getting my master's degree in New York City. And I literally had the my boss come up to me and ask me why I wasn't showing up at happy hour. And I was like, well, I don't really drink. And he's like, oh, it's not about that. It's about getting the deals done. And so I made myself a plan and I was going to have a, a glass of water between every glass of wine to make sure I never got too tipsy. I even ended up in subsequent years going so far as to go to the bathroom to throw up the last glass of wine just to make sure I could keep it together at meetings. And alcohol does what alcohol does. And fast forward a decade, I had two little boys at home. I'd been promoted multiple times. I was now globally in charge of 28 countries. And I was drinking about two bottles of wine every single night. Wow. And so what happened to make you change? Well, I did what anybody would do, which was very basic. Okay. This is too much. I'm going to drink less. Yeah. And that actually started one of the most painful parts of my life because I would make myself rules, which I could keep temporarily, but they always came with a heavy cost, the cost of missing out, the cost of feeling like I was on outside of things, the cost of feeling like nothing was fun anymore. And I would end up drinking again. And through this process, trying to drink less, I ended up drinking more, mm. which was very surprising to me and really losing trust in myself, really feeling like what's wrong with me, started to ask myself the terrifying questions. Do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? And it was through that process that I actually one day asked myself just a significantly better question, which was why? Why did I used to be able to take it or leave it? And why was now alcohol seemingly the most important thing in my life? Yeah. And I like, what I like about your philosophy with all of this is you encourage people to take a look at their relationship with alcohol without the shame and the guilt attached to it, which can be really difficult because as you were saying, and I bet you it's not uncommon, you were trying to drink less, but you wound up drinking more because you were disappointed in yourself for not obeying your own rules that you put in place. So it was like this, this whole cycle. So, but I do, tell us a little bit more about your philosophy and how you try to like remove the shame game from it. Well, it's, it's so typical for people to end up drinking more when they're trying to drink less. And so when I asked myself that question, I just went and wrote down every single reason I drank. And we live in this beautiful day and age where you can pay 50 or hundred bucks to buy an online study. And I just started going through, does it relax me? Is it really more fun? Does it steal my joy or add to my joy? And I did this research and I remember just being blown away and like, I can't believe we don't know this stuff. What is right. it was like the red pill and waking up in the matrix. And I just stopped wanting to drink. And so I told my husband, I was like, I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. And he was super surprised, but I put my research out for free download just online and 20,000 people downloaded it in two weeks. I started getting messages from all over the world and people said, this is helping me. And someone actually wrote and said, you should you should make this a book. So I figured out how to self-publish. That was in 2015. I haven't personally had a drink in almost nine years. And now the book has sold over a million copies. That's insane. I can't even believe it. Obviously, there is such an appetite for this kind of content out there. So were you always a research-based person or how did you how did you put the book together? Because it is very much science-based. And I have to warn people, when you read this book, it's like you can't untoast the toast. Once you read what's in this book, you, it's, it's, you have a hard time looking at alcohol in the same way. I will say that. 
Yeah, I've had a few friends say, I'm not reading it because I know it happens to people that read it. They just don't <laughs> drink it. <laughs> I know it happens. So talk about that process, though, of how you did all that research and put all this together um, in that way. Yeah, I've always just been radically curious and very interested in, in sort of the scientific method. I have a master's in science, not in this topic, but it's always been fascinating to me how we make the decisions we make. And when I started to, and because I grew up in such an alternative sort of hippie commune, basically, it was like, why, why do we think that certain substances are okay when other substances are demonized? Why, like all of these questions started to surface for me. And it was, it was phenomenal to me the things that I was finding out about how alcohol is literally the most toxic and deadly drug in the world, according to two different studies. The World Health Organization even says there's no safe amount of alcohol, yet you can buy it at the you know gas station in these really colorful, almost candy-looking packages. And we think it's totally, we would never snort cocaine in front of our kids, yet we can have a glass of wine and it not be a big deal. And so these sort of issues, like questions just kept at me and that was really the process. Are you looking for where to find the perfect pumpkin spice latte, the best fall family-friendly activities, or interviews with your favorite celebrities? We can find it all in one place. It's the weekly Hubbub newsletter. You can sign up by going to our website, nbc10boston.com forward slash newsletters. Drop your email and you'll have everything you need in your inbox every Thursday. I'm curious, like you said, I'm just a, I'm curious about all the different things. So once I sort of came on the grid, when I, I read your book and I started following some other uh, people who are living alcohol free or even in maybe gray area drinkers, all of a sudden it seemed like something was happening. So I don't know if it was just me or where it feels from your perspective, but it feels like something is truly happening in the last few years, maybe post-pandemic. There's just a lot more mocktails on menus. I see a lot of people who just choose not to drink and it's not because they're quote alcoholic or in a program, they're just like, yeah, I don't drink. And I don't feel like I saw that that much in the past. Yeah, it, it's changing all the time. I mean, I literally saw just a few days ago, there was a tribute cocktail for Matthew Perry at an Australian bar. And they got it, the whole sort of sober curious community came out against it. And they actually had to issue a national apology wow. because of his struggles with addiction. And so it's the level of awareness that is happening is amazing. And people are just waking up to, wow, these maybe weren't my ideas that alcohol is necessary to relax or have a good time. I remember feeling like alcohol was as important in my life. Like it was just a fact, like the sky was blue. And when I started unpacking it for myself, I'm like, where, where did this stuff come from? And I think a lot of people are having that experience. Well, the marketing behind alcohol has been pretty remarkable if you think about it over the years. And I and we've talked a lot about this on this particular show is the mommy wine culture. And once you start to become aware and you see what's out there and you see that there's onesies that say like mommy's juice and all these different things, you, you start to see things differently and you're like, wow, I feel like alcohol is preying on people, especially moms who are in a really like vulnerable place. And that's a little bit scary. 
Yeah, it is scary. And and I like to say two things. First of all, I like to say to anybody who feels like they're over drinking, like there's no shame in it. You know, you're doing the best you can with the tools you have. And alcohol has handed us, especially as moms, this one tool. Here it is. It's a bottle of wine. And so understand that like this, this is actually not your fault. Yeah. And the other thing I think we should just be really critical of is whenever we see anything like rosé all day or mommy juice, just imagine if it was replaced with any other substance and, you know, cocaine, heroin, anything else, because alcohol is definitively more harmful to our society than any other drug. And just think it through that lens. Would that be okay for your kids to see? Would that be okay? Would you feel good about that? I've had conversations like this with my friends where I said, you know, I have a feeling by the time our kids are our age, we might be looking at alcohol like we do cigarettes. And I get a lot of pushback on that. And they're like, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. Alcohol's different. And I said, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I know the way you'll answer that question. Well, from what I've seen happen just literally in the last nine years, I, I think it is a very good possibility. And we see it as evidenced with younger generations. You know, our lives at my age weren't recorded on social media to the extent that my kids' lives are. And so for them to experiment or go get drunk at a party, it's posted everywhere. So we actually see a different level of intentionality and even sobriety. There's less drinking in younger generations. I've even heard it said that people will say, oh, that was my parent's drug. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like the younger generations are looking at it differently. So you mentioned Matthew Perry and I read his book and it, it was so interesting. And someone like him was just, he was so tortured by his addiction. And he has even said like for him, alcohol, he couldn't take a sip. He described it as like an allergy. If he took a sip, that was it. He was going to be drinking for days and days and go down that rabbit hole. Um, so there's someone like him who's deep in addiction. And then there are other people who seemed like normal drinkers. Is there such a thing as drinking normally? Well, I think it's a fascinating question. And I think that it can be approached in a few different ways. But one of the things that's important to consider is that in traditional recovery systems, like, you know, systems that Matthew Perry is in, systems that really are governing what we look at as traditional recovery. There is little to no thought work or belief work on the science of alcohol. The premise is that people who are normal can drink normally. If I'm an alcoholic, I cannot drink normally. And so there's no looking into, is alcohol actually good? In, in fact, the whole idea is that alcohol is good I wish I could drink it normally, but I'm not going to allow myself to because I am a problem. I have the problem with it. I am the alcoholic. And so I'm going to deprive myself of it. And so you can see how the tortured psyche is very inherent in that. It's like being on a forever diet from something you believe is useful and helpful in your life and that everybody else gets to do. Yeah. And so I really stand against that and say, we need to rewire our thinking all of our thinking, no matter where you are on the spectrum of, of being able to moderate or not being able to moderate, we would all benefit from understanding at least as much about the substance of alcohol as we do about something like Advil. And then we wouldn't have this pull toward it where it feels like we do if we're telling ourselves it's amazing, yet I as an alcoholic can't drink it. Right. And then make your choice, you know, just like know the truth about it and then make your decisions. But that is what's different about your approach and what I like is that you say the person is good. It's the alcohol that's bad and the alcohol is just doing its job. 
so remove the shame because you're just, it's doing what it's supposed to do. I've heard you talk about um, drinking responsibly. Can you share that with my audience? Yeah, I feel that that term by itself induces an incredible level of shame. I mean, we are telling a human being, one with blood, flesh, brain cells, to consume an addictive, a scientifically proven addictive substance. All doctors, all medical professionals agree it is addictive in responsibly. And if you can't do it, then you human being are the problem. There's so much shame inherent in that statement. It it really, I think, perpetuates the problem. Are you looking for where to find the perfect pumpkin spice latte, the best fall family-friendly activities, or interviews with your favorite celebrities? Well, you can find it all in one place. It's the weekly Hubbub newsletter. You can sign up by going to our website, nbc10boston.com forward slash newsletters. Drop your email and you'll have everything you need in your inbox every Thursday. someone wanted to make a change, what do you recommend? Well, I I have a completely free online 30-day, just kind of dip a toe, see how it feels. Every single day you get a video that's just education-based. I just recommend that you get really curious about your relationship with alcohol. Stop asking those questions. Is this a problem? Am I an alcoholic? Because by default, you're going to put off the answers to those questions as long as possible and ask, I think the much more productive question would my life maybe be better drinking a bit less and seek an answer to that without kind of the blame or the shame. I like how you've also, and like we talked about, you've put the science behind this, you've done so much research, but so much so that at one point in your experiment, you locked yourself in a room with a bottle of wine after you hadn't been drinking for some time. Tell us about what happened in that experiment for yourself. So it, it was St. Patrick's Day a few days before and everybody else was drinking and I hadn't been drinking for three or four months. And I was feeling like, did I make too big of a deal out of this? Everybody else seems fine. They seem like they're having fun, but I didn't want to just pick up a drink. And so I was very intentional. I was like, I want to know if there is anything that I enjoy about the experience of being drunk. So I actually <laughs> set up my cell phone and I got drunk in front of my camera and I couldn't watch the videos for years afterwards. I, I now have watched them and they're in that free program. I was talking about the alcohol experiment, but I knew without a shadow of a doubt, like the room got a little bit fuzzy and I thought I was like going to have fun and maybe want to hang out. And all I wanted to do was kind of go to sleep. And there was nothing actually in the substance of alcohol when I wasn't itching, you know, it would draw from prior drinks that made me excited or fun. It, it just kind of made me dizzy. And that was it. And that footage exists. <laughs> I would love to yes. see that. Well, I was reading in your book, too, um, you talked about going to a restaurant and there was a group of people who just got out of work and they seemed all stressed out. And then the wine showed up. And before they even took a sip of wine, their mood changed. So there's almost perhaps like a placebo effect, you think, to alcohol that like sometimes it just in a restaurant, if it wafts past me, it just reminds me of a good time. It reminds me of a, a dinner, you know, um, there might be something to that, right? It's like those first few minutes are great. And then after that, it's all just kind of dull. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember experiencing this in my own life. I remember going and pouring the glass of wine and starting to feel better in pouring the wine before oh. I even had a sip. And then I later did research into this and alcohol is a fascinating substance because it's both a stimulant and a depressant. So it's a stimulant in the sense that your blood alcohol is rising for about the first 18 to 20 minutes after you have a drink. And that's where that happy kind of tipsy euphoric feeling comes from. But then what happens is that your blood alcohol starts to fall and it will fall for two to three hours for that single drink. And that feeling is uneasy anxious, tired, more stressed, you know, feeling a little disconnected from the people around you. And so what do we do 18 to 20 minutes in we have another drink to try to chase that feeling, but it never lasts quite as long. And you can notice this in your own life, you can notice how you feel after that first drink versus how you feel after the third drink. And if I really want something fascinating, have one drink and then don't drink anything else for two to three hours and notice how you feel often worse about 40 minutes after that first drink than you did before you took it. Hmm. And how do you think alcohol plays into anxiety? Because I know anxiety is something that a lot of people are facing right now and they think that alcohol is medicinal for it. Alcohol is, so when your body drinks alcohol, it has a cortisol response and an adrenaline response immediately. And those two hormones, I mean, cortisol is the stress hormone and adrenaline, that's what happens. Anxiety is a form of fear, but it's fear about a future imagined danger rather than fear about a real and present danger. But the response in the body is the same. And so it is that response of fight or flight and alcohol actually creates that response in the body. Now, also, alcohol will numb your brain cells. It will make your brain fire more slowly to the point of unconsciousness eventually. But what happens in that is we can have the illusion that it's actually making us feel better because our brain is working slower when the physiological response is anxiety, which will happen as soon as that numbing response is gone. It makes so much sense, but we are just so trained to, oh, I'm anxious, I'm a little stressed about something. It's almost like goes back to the movies, right? Like someone comes home from work, they're stressed, they kind of like have to loosen their tie and then get the scotch out. I mean, it's just, we've been conditioned to do these certain things. So it is breaking that cycle and like breaking the habit. Um, but before I let you go, I wanna talk to you about how to talk to kids about alcohol. So in your family, it's probably a little, you know, a little easier because you don't drink alcohol anymore and this is your life's work. Um, but for those of us who still do drink alcohol, how do we have these conversations that like, okay, yes, I'm drinking wine right now, but it's not good for you. And I actually hope you never do it. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I think we need to just give our kids a level of, of respect, especially when they reach his age 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm we often underestimate how much they want to understand. And so I think having really honest and open conversations about alcohol, and even conversations about education. I actually have a kid's book. It's called Buzz to Buzzkill. And it's just four things I wish I would have known before my first drink, according to science. So it's things like the fact that that first drink gives you 20 minutes of pleasure for two to three hours of kind of anxious misery. And the kids, they love the science. They love being educated. And then we can just frame it and like, look, there's risk to this decision that I'm making. It's my decision for you not to make this risk choice right now, but I want you to be educated before you do and just make that available to them. It's just like anything, right? Give them the information, give them the truth, and then hope that they make the best decisions with that. That's all we can really ever do as a parent. But that's what your book did for me too. Like there was, 
I just had a lot of misconceptions about alcohol. And I mean, honestly, I still drink alcohol, but I, I know what I'm doing and I just, I mean, I, I know the deal. <laughs> I know that it's not this like miraculous thing and there's really no good health benefits. We used to think, oh, one glass of red wine a night is good for us. Um, but remember, doctors also used to endorse cigarettes back in the day. So got to take everything with a grain of salt. So to follow up here and to end things, what would you say to the Annie who was considering giving up alcohol way back in 2015? Well, I think that what you said is is exactly right. Like all we can do is just to educate ourselves. And so I would say to her, like, just don't be scared of the information. You know, the information isn't going to make you never drink again or make you an alcoholic or, you know, have just, but don't be afraid of the information because with the information, we give ourselves a lot of power. We come, become really empowered to make whatever choice we want to make if we can put down the fear and blame and judgment. And so I would just ask her to just be curious. Awesome. All right, Annie, please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and all of the programs that you have and all your books and things like that. Well, my books are available anywhere books are sold. And then I highly recommend the free alcohol experiment at alcoholexperiment.com if you want to dip a toe and try it out. Dip a toe. All right, Annie, thank you so much. I'm so glad you got to come back again. All right, everybody, that's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom. Thank you so much to my guest, Annie Grace. I thought this was such an interesting conversation about alcohol. Remember, you can watch Mom to Mom, the TV show, on Mondays at 1130 a.m. on NBC10 Boston. And you can find all of our podcasts wherever you find your podcast. All you have to do is search Mom to Mom with Maria Sansone. All right, everybody, have a great day, and I'll see you next time here on Mom to Mom. 